0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. I am with, of course, Trish McFarland. Trish, how are you today?
1: I'm good, Steve. How are you today?
0: I am well. It is a reasonably nice early spring day in western New York. I'm glad for that. The snow has melted and uh, ready, ready for the spring and, and, and the summer. I'm excited. I'm in a good mood today.
1: Well, that's good. We've definitely had our share of of storms here in the Midwest over the last day and a half, so it's sunny here. I'm
0: glad. (laughs) That's great, great. Trish, we have great uh, news, great show today, a superb guest waiting in the wings. We'll welcome him in a second. I just want to, real quick before we get started, I want to thank Virgin Pulse, the sponsor of the HR Happy Hour show, of course. You can learn more about them at www.virginpulse.com. So thanks to them and thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks for sharing the show, tweeting, telling a friend and getting folks to sign up. I was at an event last week and I introduced myself and the the, the gentleman said to me, hey, Steve, I know you, HR Happy Hour. And he held up his phone (laughs) and he showed me like where he listens to the show on his phone. I have to tell you, it's
1: one of. It's such a highlight because it, it does feel like every week I meet a person or two or hear from someone who listens to the podcast. So um, it's always good. Or you know, someone will send a note and say, "Oh, I listened to this episode. I got one of those just the other day, as a matter of fact, and they really liked one of our episodes." And um, and actually had one that I received about George as well. So Great. Um, definitely the Market Watch and, and some of our other shows are doing doing quite well in terms of uh, delivering some good information. So. Yeah, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. And then just one announcement from me, Trish, Uh, HR Tech Conference, of course, my thing, Uh, www.hrtechconference.com. You can go there. Tickets are on sale. Agenda details coming shortly. We did announce one of our keynoters is going to be Laszlo Bach, formerly head of HR at Google. So we're excited to have him coming to HR Tech this year. So it's going to be a great show. So check that out as well. So uh, that's it for me, Trish. So,
1: not to not to outdo that, but um. So I, <laughs> so at Infor, um, it's it's interesting now being on the product side, right? So I've been a practitioner for my whole career, basically, and an analyst for for several years in there as well. But um, now being part of Infor, I'll be on the other side of Inforum, right? I'm I'm there, you know, sort of designing the product and the strategy, and that's that's fun. So we have Inforum coming up in New York City, July uh, 10th through the 12th. Our special guest. Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah.
0: So very I don't know what you think for, about that, but no, I'm a great HR excited, leader. So. As I recall, Bruno Mars, right? <laughs> he has great HR insights.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> well,
0: that's exciting. So awesome. So HR anyway. Tech conference, check out in subscribe to the show, iTunes, Stitcher radio, all the places. Trish, we should get on to the show. We Let's have a bring on the real HR expert. Truly, <laughs> true. Yeah. A fantastic guest true. returning to the HR happy hour HR happy hour show after seven years, which is amazing. uh, We have, we're so excited to welcome Mr. Dave Ulrich. Dave is the Rensis Likert Professor of Business at the Ross School at the University of Michigan and a partner at the RBL Group, a consulting firm focused on helping organizations and leaders deliver value. He's consulted and done research with over half the Fortune 200. He's the author and co-author of more than 30 books, including the number one Wall Street Journal business bestseller, The Why of Work, also leadership brand, and HR from the outside in. He was named a top management thought leader in Business Week, Fortune, Financial Times, The Economist, and People Management, and is the recipient of many awards, including a Lifetime Achievement Award from ASTD, which is now ATD. Known as the father of modern human resources, he has been repeatedly named to the Thinker's 50 list of thought leaders and has been designated the number one Most influential HR thought leader by HR Magazine, serves on the board of directors for Herman Miller and the board of trustees of Southern Virginia University, and uh, has consulted for many, many huge companies. Please welcome back to the HR Happier Show, Dave Ulrich. Dave, how are you today?
2: I'm terrific. Thank you. I feel like I'm interrupting Trish and you who are having a uh, (laughs) a magical moment, and uh, I don't want to interrupt this conversation. It was was getting very profound, so that's great. Thank you so much, both of you.
0: Dave, thanks so much for being on the show. And and maybe now after this is your second appearance on the HR happy hour show, uh, maybe, maybe after this appearance, Dave, we can get the HR happy hour show credit into the official bio. That would be something.
2: <laughs> wow, would that be cool? Th-
0: then that would be so I've cool. <laughs> Dave, I mean, I read your whole bio. People, the people who listen to the show are HR people, right? So they, they you don't really need an introduction to them. So uh, usually the top question on the show when we welcome our guests on is I give the whole, oh, tell us a little bit more about you kind of thing, which um, is kind of a silly question sometimes. So instead of asking that one, I, I look back in the archive, Dave, because I I did recall you'd been you'd been on the show before, and it was in June of 2010. I looked it up and, uh, that seems like a long time ago. I mean, if you could just think about what, what have been some of the most significant or, or, or most impactful changes for HR folks and HR leaders in that time frame, well, what would you say you think?
2: It's a great question. I was thinking for me as well. I mean, it's good news. I'm still married and, <laughs> and we now have, uh, eight grandkids and, uh, Oh, <laughs> it used to be uh, um, every time I'd write a book, I'd gain 10 pounds. I think I'm still doing that. So uh,
0: <laughs> I hope um, not with 30 bucks in, Dave.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, don't go there.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um,
2: you know, I think the HR field is on a, a continual evolution to disrupt itself to get better. Um, I think there's two or three themes that's interesting in the last eight years. And eight years or seven years is not an it's not a huge time frame, it's, uh, but it does see some shifts. I think we're seeing a shift from, when we have a book I know we'll talk about, mm-hmm, from, sure. from inside, uh, what we do inside as an organization to what we do outside. So the value of HR is not that we help make strategy happen. It's that we help create value for our customers and investors. So that's a disruptive kind of shift, more outside in. We did a book called Leadership Capital Index and um, and the may in fact I had a call this morning with somebody who's doing a, an IPO
0: mm-hmm.
2: And the head of learning is trying to build leadership in this IPO that will give investors confidence in their future su- uh, success It impacts market value. So it changes the way we think about leadership development through the eyes of investors so that's one. And I'll just name one more and that's that it's not just about talent. I think in 2010 we were, Ten or twelve years into the McKinsey defined, beautifully defined war for talent. Right. I think today we've we've got good evidence and very strong data that we'll talk about that talent is critical. You've got to have good people, and it's you call it human capital, call it workforce. You've got to have great people. But ultimately, what drives success for a business more is not the people, but how well they work together. Call that place, call it teamwork, call it organization. And so individual confidence matters, but organizational capability matters more. By the way, you've done the show for seven years. both uh, I don't know if you've both been involved for seven years. So what's, uh, those are two of the themes. I've. Well, the third one that's obvious is analytics. Um, I'd love to get into that. That would be a whole other show um, yeah. uh, for some reasons that our research has shown really interesting. But, and I've been thinking about that this morning, so it's top of mind. But what have each of you seen about, you know, in the last seven or ten years, what are some disruptive HR things? What, what would you say?
1: Oh, I love this. You know what, Dave? I think you're the first person that's ever thrown a question back on us that I can recall. So, um, Steve, do you mind if I take a stab no, at it first? No, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm happy you volunteered to answer first. So please
1: do. <laughs> I'm always chomping at the bit. So um, so actually, you know, seven years ago, I was um, a listener on the episode that you were on, Dave. And um, a fa- I was a fan, obviously had been a long time HR practitioner and did that for almost 20 years myself. Um, so when I joined the show back in 2013, I had been listening since 2009 and um, also been reading your books for, for many, many years as well. So for me, the biggest shift has maybe been one that I personally went through, but I think it's very um, very relevant to what other HR leaders are going through. So it's that idea that you can Maybe start out, um, you know, I started out as a recruiter uh, for PricewaterhouseCoopers years and years ago, and it's really that you can evolve yourself as business evolves, and so it definitely is approaching – I I always say now I'm a business person who happens to focus – on human resources as opposed to, you know, maybe years ago where I would have said, oh, I'm an HR person. And and it truly operates that way. Um, It's that idea that you can can morph your career based on what the market is doing and what industries are doing in the workplace and change what you're doing to support a business um, outcome. And do that through those connections with the people. So I'm really, I not to get too far ahead, we'll let Steve answer too, but the, I think what, you're, what we're going to talk about in the book is very relevant in terms of that shift um, that we're seeing in the actual workplaces. And that's where I think HR leaders struggled a little bit, not understanding what skills they needed to be building. We were just telling everyone you had to be a better business person. That was a little... Uh, just a little bit out there. They didn't really know how to quantify that. So I feel like the shift for me has been watching other HR pros truly be able to start defining what that looks like for them in an organization. So they actually do have impact, you know, just versus being like uh, the HR police, maybe, of (laughs) you know, 15 years ago when I started. So, Steve,
0: what about you? What's, you know, I, Dave, show? I focus on technology, right? I, run, I help program and run the HR Technology Conference before getting into that. I was a technologist at a couple places. And so I'll answer through the lens of what I feel like I know best. And I'll say that one of the biggest changes in that seven-year time period has been um, the increasing power capability and, and maybe more importantly, access to powerful human resources and analytics technologies that... Modern uh, technology delivery mechanisms, essentially cloud-based solutions, have made available to organizations of, of many sizes, quite frankly, all sizes, right? Maybe 20, 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Uh, you know, only the largest uh, most uh, well-resourced organizations had access to the best and most powerful technologies because they were very expensive and they required lots of i t support and expertise to manage and install and, and 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 optimize and get the most value from. Today, that's a lot different, right? Powerful technologies are available to organizations of almost any size, and they're they're reasonably affordable to all sizes and they're accessible through through cloud technology. So I think, the widespread availability, increasing capability, and and then uh, enhanced de- delivery mechanisms of t- technology for helping HR leaders and business leaders manage a- a- manage people has been the biggest change I've seen.
2: Boy, it would be fun to respond to both of those because I, <laughs> I I would I would agree with both of those. I think to your comment the first it's the and this may be a transition into the, into some of the current book stuff, but. The hardest part of a book is the first paragraph, because that's what people read. <laughs> and the hardest part of the first paragraph is the first sentence. So, if you take all the words in this book, the first five probably took more time than the next 200. And it's HR is not about HR. And then the next words are HR is about the business. And I think oh, wow. I think we're starting to get that. That I hear people call. In fact, I had a call today uh, around analytics and say would you be willing to look at this book we've done on analytics? Here's how to measure staffing. Here's how to measure training. Here's how to measure compensation work design. And I just cringe inside a little bit because it's not about that. I did a book called The HR Scorecard with two incredible colleagues, Mark Husslitt and Brian Becker. And today, I would argue that's a bad book. I mean, no offense to the two of them. <laughs> but it's not, about, it's not about an HR scorecard. It's about the business scorecard. Right. And right. the issue is not... Do we do analytics? In fact, I said it would be fun to get into analytics. Here's the insight because my head's into that from reading this book today. We looked at HR professionals who were gifted at doing analytics, or we looked at, and we looked at HR departments where an, HR analytics was one of the key skills of the department, and it had no correlation with business results. Interesting. And so all the analytics people say, let's do analytics, let's do analytics. Well, when you do analytics on analytics, we're finding it has no impact. And and then I've got to make sense of that because, duh, data. We've got to make decisions about data, not instinct. And I think it's because we're doing HR analytics for HR, not for the business. The, 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 and that's kind of like leadership. Do leaders have this set of skills? Are they authentic? What a great concept. I love my leader to be authentic. But that's not a measure of leadership. It's does that authenticity create customer value? Will it cause customers to buy more product that makes money? Will it create investor value? And until we link the analytics with business outcomes, so far our data says in the analytics of analytics is they're becoming an internal focus, not a value creation focus. By the way, that's a whole other show that is very <laughs> – fascinating yeah um but it's also in the book i mean that's the message of our book sure
1: i was gonna say i feel like we need you on once a quarter because (laughs) i think we've just identified at least three
2: shows right (laughs) i I would be happy to do it i by the way my passion for this field i keep thinking okay in the last seven years i haven't lost my passion i mean i I, and and i try to get 25 to 30 percent new stuff every year and a half and and that's one that's new is, I mean, everybody's writing analytics. Here's the eight principles of great success, but they're not linking those to the business. I mean, they're not linking those. Will that cost customers to buy more product? Will that cause investors to give us more market value? And and I think right now the, the fear is we're measuring for measurement's sake. We're not measuring as a as a mechanism to build value. Again, our analytics on the analytics field is not very positive. Yeah. So. End of that. I would
1: agree with that, too, because I'm, I'm seeing that I recently made a shift from, you know, being on the practitioner side to going into actually getting to develop. So for years, you know, when you're a practitioner and you don't have all the tools you wish you had, it's now flipping the script, right, so that I get to help design the products for HR leaders. And so that's one of the things I'm spending almost all my time on is cross-functional business analytics. It's not about measuring just the HR things on some dashboard right because that's kind of where technology is right now so and I will tell you I did not I my copy of the book was supposed to be here yesterday I think it's arriving actually today so yeah. so strange that you read that you know the first two sentences um so that was not a plant right <laughs> for the no. listeners but no I think it's it, in all seriousness it's very timely um, where as a as an industry where HR leaders need to go um, in terms of developing their their skills around cross functional business analytics that actually do have links to outcomes versus just HR analytics, I think that's very relevant.
0: Yeah, D- yeah Dan, and, I'm sorry. Uh, I to so say I, I, I I've I've been remiss as a host here. We've been talking about the new book, but I haven't actually given out the title yet. The new book is called Victory Through Organization, and that's what we want to talk about. I think uh, you know next on on the show, right? Is is what to me, it seems like about a more expansive view of HR that encompasses the things Trish and you've been talking about, right? This, the analytics, not just for HR's sake, but for organization, uh, to help drive organizational outcomes and business outcomes. And that's what the book's about as well. So I'd love for you maybe to maybe spend a few minutes telling us about the origins of this book, how it, how it stemmed from the research that you've been doing over many years and why now this organizational focus is really important for HR leaders.
2: So, uh, thank you, and I'll try not to go too long because <laughs> it's a podcast, and some people may be in cars, and it would put them to sleep. So, um, but we we love data. I mean, we love data because because a lot of times people have insights or intuitions, but data helps. So, since 1987, we've collected data on the HR field about every four or five years. So we have seven waves of data. In this round, we had 22 incredible partners from every region of the world. Every almost every major HR association in the world. We have data from 32,000 people. So it's a, it's, a, it's not Dave woke up in his room one night and his colleagues, Dave, <laughs> they see my Mike workers son, and, and Wayne Grockbank and, and fabricated something. Um, but, but it's a lot of data. And in 1,400 businesses. And so one of the things we were able to do, and it's a very interesting question, and I won't embarrass either of you, but if you're listening, do the same thing. Because we have 1,400 business units or organization units, we've got performance of those units. How well do they perform on a six item scale against competitors, financially, innovation? So we've got a scale of business unit performance. Then we have information on, on your left hand about the skills of the HR people in that business unit. So do these HR people have skills? And we got 4,000 people who did a 360 array across the 1,400 businesses. And then the right hand is, does the organization or the HR department work well as a department? And so now we've got, on the one hand, individual factors, individual competence, talent, workforce. And on the other hand, organizational factors, capabilities, systems, teamwork. We were able to do statistics, and it's it's, it's actually, I'd say simple, but it's actually a very complicated statistic. Which of those two explains more about business performance? Mm -hmm. So, on the left hand, you got talent. On the right hand, you got organization. If you had 10 points to divide, which one has the most impact, relative impact, on business performance? By the way, when I teach, I have people actually allocate the points by themselves so I don't embarrass people.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And here's the, by the way, the academics go five and five. It would be fun to hear what, Let me tell you what I found, and then you can tell me if you're willing to reveal how you divide it. Here's what we found. A2 organization.
0: Wow. See, I I wouldn't have went that high. I would have been more 60-40 probably towards organizational, but I probably would have been around that.
1: I think I would have as well. Probably, yeah, six or seven towards organization. But I think, do you you think, um, Dave, that that's really playing in the, the not just the millennials coming up, of course, who have a little different style. But sort of this whole idea of gig economy. I mean, it's it's more about having the right people in place right then to drive those business outcomes, as opposed to hiring the right person to come and stay in your organization forever and ever. That's just
2: a absolutely I think a different shift, well, right? We went through a lot of what does this mean? I mean, because one of the beauties of analytics, and it's why I love analytics. Is when you have data that doesn't, I mean, that's I would have said five and five because I'm an academic and we don't make a bet, but <laughs> but it's eight, two, I mean, it's four times. And and again, this is not a small data set, I mean, it's 32,000 people, so so we began to look at that, and then we looked and we go, Holy smokes, that's true in a lot of places. Um, I mean, that's true with sports. We looked at how often does the leading scorer play on the team that wins the championship. And in basketball, it's 20% of the time. How often in, in basketball, in soccer, in rugby, 20% of the time, the leading scorer wins the championship. We looked at Academy Awards. How often is the leading actor or actress in the Oscars on the movie that wins movie of the year? It's 20%. We looked at. I looked at Spice Girls. That was a <laughs> little bit of a, a stretch for me. I love it. But how often do bands outsell individuals? So at Spice Girls, the band outsold the individuals when they broke up and sold individually. Eighty percent of the time, the band wins. And so what we thought, you know, we're sort of discovering. Uh, by the way, there's a resounding da when you think about it. Organizations take individuals and make them better. And 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 then, so where does that lead? Let's go to the next step. So it says in HR, when I'm an HR professional. And I'm trying to help a business transform, a public sector business, private sector, big, small, global, in, headquartered in the U.S., headquartered in Bolivia or Czechoslovakia. I've got to make sure we have good people. I mean, really stupid people is going to hurt an organization. <laughs> right. But I've also got to make sure we have a great organization. And I think that's a stretch for a lot of HR people to, to kind of rediscover legacy OD, organizational development. That we've got to build good. And then we add a third. The, the, the mediator between talent and organization, if you draw two circles, the intersection is leadership. Because leaders shape talent and leaders create organization. So that's that's the high-level overview. Then in those two streams, on the, on the talent stream on the left hand and the organization stream on the right hand, we dug into a lot of detail. What does it take to really win in each of those streams? But that's the essence of the book.
0: Yeah, and uh, quick reset. This is Steve Bos with Trish McFarland. This is the HR Happy Hour Show. We're joined by Dave Ulrich, author, co-author of the the new book, Victory Through Organization. And we're talking all about sort of assessing talent, assessing organizational capability, why it ma- why organization matters. And uh, Dave, it's so I'm so glad you brought up the basketball reference. I, I read that in the book earlier, and. Um, and the first line of your current book, right, HR is not about HR, and there's a great story, and I think I've told this on the show before, but I'm a basketball fan myself, and there's a legendary story in, in the great uh, book of basketball where the, the great Detroit Piston star, Isaiah Thomas, Hall of Famer, was asked to explain the essence of basketball and winning basketball because he was a member of championship teams himself, and he said, much like you said in your book, Dave, he said, the secret of basketball is it's not about basketball. It's about the collective about the team it's about coming together in the right ways and complementing each other's strengths in such a way that the collective the sum, you know the classic old line the the sum uh you know the sum is worth more than the uh, the parts themselves and you talk about that in the book as well like in terms of the the war for talent that you brought up earlier right uh that that top firms they all have really good talent right like everybody's got pretty good talent like the top consulting firms or the top manufacturing firms or the top technology firms and and how HR and business leaders can make the most out of that talent is really what makes the difference. You know,
2: I I would totally agree, and I'm going to ask Trisha a question from her. Think back through any one of the companies, and don't name them. We're not here to embarrass them. Think of an S-curve, and, and you start, and you, you go up slow, and then you, you get up to the top, and zero at the beginning at the top is 100. Think of the talent in those organizations, and and again, you don't have to answer, but but it's a fun dialogue. Where are we on that S-curve in terms of having the confidence, the commitment, the talent to win? And it's an interesting question. By the way, if you're at 10 or 20 percent, you're starting up that S-curve, you got to go get good people. I mean, a basketball team, right. if we play basketball, Steve, if it took you, me, and three other people, male or female, and we were a team with Mike Krzyzewski, one of the great coaches in college basketball, coach, we'd lose. No offense. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and I don't know how good you are. But, but we may not have the talent to win. So you guys, so Trish it's really interesting and I'll have you answer both questions. Then look at that same S curve around organization. Do we have the right organization in place that enables us to win? What I find when I frame that question is most companies are 60, 70, 80% up the curve on talent. We we know where to find them, we know how to bring them in. we're getting better at it. But we're 20 to 30% up organization. We just don't know how to work on that as well. Anyway, that's the that's the mega message at the high level of what our book is about. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think,
1: well, and I think that what we're seeing is that's where that organizational fit becomes even more um, important now. So you're right. Years ago, where we were truly just focused on trying to get those those top players, right? Your A players and every industry every organization right we're all fighting for the same people but yeah once you have them if you don't have that fit or back to to steve to your earlier point about you know on a basketball team it's about the complementary um skills and abilities to actually drive change in an organization or to drive an outcome on a team any team um i think it's very important you know and fascinating though i think all of the research where you know where it leads back to regardless if you're talking about sports or bands or movies or whatnot it's 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 the same, so that kind of shows you that it's really something that, in terms of human nature, that's really where we need to evolve as a business, is really trying to make sure that not that we're just hiring the right individuals, but how do they then fit together like the right puzzle piece to make the full picture?
2: Boy, do I agree with that, <laughs> and, and, and in Steve's role in technology, and, and you know far more about technology than I do, but I see technology in the HR space going through an evolution, it's, it, it used to be technology would make our world more efficient, so we can do a better job of staffing or training through efficient use of technology. Then technology, I think, gave us a way to do intervention. So we have new ways of hiring people through LinkedIn or training through e-learning. And then technology has been, for many of us, a source of insight and information. And I think you see that with with gla- uh, with uh, Lazo, uh, Google. Technology is it gives us information at Amazon we didn't have. The place where I hope we go with technology, and it's the message of our book, is that the next stage of technology is connection. One of the data points we found that was just fascinating to me, and again, it's in the book, what's the biggest cause of mortality, death? Is it smoking? Is it obesity? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Or is it social isolation? And when psychologists study that across large samples over many countries and time, it's social isolation. And so the challenge of technology is not to just give us more efficiency or interventions or information. It's to find ways that technology brings us together rather than separates. us. I think that's the power of organization. When an organization can use technology and other forms to bring people together collectively, we become better collectively than we are individually. And our research shows you have four times the impact on business. And anyway, that's that one, by the way, Steve, scares me in the technology space. I read something a few weeks ago that a lot of the millennials, are, the millennials who spend three hours a day on technology, this would be Facebook, Chatbox, mm-hmm. whatever the latest and greatest is, have the highest social isolation or loneliness scores. Boy, does that scare me. Yeah. Uh, not only is it a societal issue, but, but we're sub-optimizing what people can do together. Anyway, that's a topic I think that's going to start getting more attention over time. You know, oh,
1: I, I think you're right. I think there that's one where that's a challenge for every organization, right? We we tend to have maybe more introverted, high performers, uh certainly, but who who might hide behind technology all the way back from, you know, email, right? People will hide behind um communicating maybe in the most effective collaborative way. And so that's a real challenge as someone who's now trying to develop technology for For people interactions within business, that's something I think about a lot is how are we actually using um, science to sort of power that fit to make sure then that you have opportunities where they feel comfortable to collaborate? Because you're right, if it's just a tool itself without sort of thought into how people will truly be connected, it becomes very isolationist. They can hide behind a computer screen and not really have to interact or you might misread cues in the interactions, which is also a big problem that I think HR leaders will have to address more and more in, the, in just the next
2: five years.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, in fact, yeah. simple, Steve, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Take it's, just, it's state, kind of interesting. In it's kind of an interesting train of thought, right? We're talking about in, in, in the book, in Victory Through Organization, how you know the importance of uh, uh, for business success of effectively managing individuals into a collective uh, cohesive team organization right but at the same time we've got a lot a plethora of technologies in our personal lives and that have kind of you know impinged into the workplace as well that as you said dave tend to have that that effect of isolating folks right it's 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 easier to chat on Facebook with with people or Instagram or whatever versus getting in your car and going down to the coffee shop and meeting people for a lunch or something right it's it's that's a hassle right and um so I think we got to be really careful as we as these technologies become more and more important uh, in the workplace that they're not having that effect that as you talked about Dave that can be really deleterious effect not just on organizational effectiveness and individual effectiveness but also you know just your your lives right so i think that's it's really interesting and um reminds me trish of the show we did years ago with sherry turkle from mit dave you might be familiar Mm -hmm. with her and she wrote a great book called alone together about this very subject a few years back and we had her on the show and it was one of my favorite conversations of all time all about the the effect that some of these technologies can have uh on individuals and their relationships with other folks again that's
2: in these two streams in our book, we have an individual stream, and organizational stream. One of the goals of an organization is to make the whole more in the parts, as you said so well. And that's what we should be doing with technology. The simple example I think many of us can relate to, those of us who have college degrees. Today, you could get a college degree sitting in your bedroom or in your parents' basement. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You've missed what the degree was. No offense, but the degree was not offense to me. Going to a professor, taking a class, getting the exams and turning them in and getting grades. The big beauty of a college degree is not the degree, it's the experience. It's, it's what you experienced at night or in other settings. And, and it's, it's that individuation that comes from a new experience at college. That's what we've got to get technology to do. And firms like Facebook are trying. I mean, they're, they're not naive to this. But, but it's the, the centrifugal forces pull us apart. And we need mm-hmm. centripetal, centripetal I'm not, I can't even say the word, but we need forces that bring us together. And, and that's this power of organization. If I go down that stream for a minute back to the book, we write in the book, so what is it about an organization that makes the whole better in the parts? And it's not the structure. It's not the shape and the roles. And, and remember, some of you probably, neither of you are old enough to remember, you used to do position analysis questionnaires and what's your role and your job description and get the roles defined. Well, that's a metaphor of organization is hierarchy. We think the next metaphor, by the way, in organization was about alignment. So you did a star model, which was great, or a 7S model or the organizational health index, the latest version of it. We think what an organization really is, is a set of capabilities. So Amazon has an incredible capability to manage consumer insights, and their capability is managing those insights in a way that allows them to make better business decisions. Um, You can pick an Apple. One of their key capabilities is an incredible capability to do design, Mm -hmm. the simplicity, the ease of use. And so their iPhone comes out with this incredible design. Disney is to give you an incredible guest experience. And those capabilities define what an organization is. And our job as HR professionals, so when we sit down and say, we're here as an HR person to help you build better talent, we can talk about that. And also better organizations. It's not to get the structure right. It's not to get the alignment right. It's to get the capabilities right. And and for us, that becomes such a valuable contribution when we can get HR people to do those assessments.
0: Yeah, it, Dave, it definitely. Uh, and and you made the key. One of the things. One of the questions I was thinking about asking was was. Uh, how how do folks get started thinking about this, HR folks, who maybe have been playing in the McKinsey War for Talent space, if you will, right, for the last dozen or so years, right, of, of trying to assemble that, that all-star team or trying to, to recruit from the top school and get that – that just that right person and, and steal that person away or poach that person away from their competitor and to think more broadly and, and through this organizational lens and I think you've sort of half answered it, the question already by the examples you gave about Apple and Disney it's got to, it's got to start with what's the organization's uh, mission, uh, uh, vision, and, and then how they're going to compete strategically in, in, in their market, right? Because every organization is going to be a little bit different about, about how they get to that place of, of really optimizing across the organization, I think.
2: We, again, I love simplicity and complexity, but we love the simple question, what do we as an organization want to be known for by our best customers in the future? Disney wants to be known for incredible guest experience. Apple for consumer insights, or, or uh, Amazon for consumer insights. And and if I were coaching an HR person by podcast, I mean there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of details around it. Right. It's just stop and think. So what is it this organization is known for to future recruits, to when we go to campus or we go to hire on LinkedIn or wherever we hire people, to the customers we serve, to our investors, either dead if we're part of a parent company who loan us money or equity in a marketplace. What is it we as an organization seem to be known for? And is it the right stuff? I mean, that's a pretty high-level way to get you thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 we think in HR, if you can get into that organization is not structure, but capability space, it begins to give you a, a dialogue that we in HR don't own that dialogue. This is, this is for business leaders. I mean, it's not for us. But when we get into that dialogue, it, it changes our role in the company from from more uh, a transaction role let's hire 50 people let's train 100 people to a value added role about building capability yeah. so that's the organization stream yeah. the other stream we did was individual and i can't and i know our time is moving but i can't leave without saying this sure there's a lot of groups have done competency models i mean there's uh, they're out there all over Again, our premise is not the model. It's like the analytics of analytics. Our premise is, does the confidence create an outcome we care about? Because leadership authenticity, if it doesn't create value for somebody, is, is not a very good idea. It's, it's, it's I call it narcissism. <laughs> and, and so we looked at competencies. We had 123 behavioral competencies. We measured them, and we had three outcomes that mattered. One was personal effectiveness. You get invited to the meeting. So what do I in HR need to be, know, and do, competence, knowledge, skill, and ability or attributes to get invited? And we found that it was be a credible activist. That's not dramatically new. But nobody's going to invite me in unless they have a credibility with me, unless I have a point of view. I get invited by being credible. Number two, how do I add value to key stakeholders? This one got more interesting. If, you, if we in HR, if I in HR, you in HR as a listener, want to create value for your employees or your line managers inside the company, being a credible activist in those dialogues works. But if I want to create value to the customers and investors outside, the stakeholders of the business, I have to be a strategic positioner. By the way, that's a pretty interesting insight. When we shift this HR mindset from serving employees to creating value for customers, investors, our skill set has to shift. Right. And then the third, and I'll get this all done, and then you can comment all over okay. and I'll, uh, I'll thank you for your comments. <laughs> the third, what drives business results? Now, remember, we have 1,400 businesses. So which skill drives them? And this, for me, is the profound value finding, the navigation of paradox. And I've got to do one minute on it.
0: Okay, go ahead, Dick.
2: I think in leadership, we had we, we look for the holy grail. The first S-curve in the last 15 years has been emotional intelligence. You've got to be grounded. You've got to be emotionally intelligent. Got it. Yes. The next curve has been learning, agility, resilience, growth mindset, grit. I think we are now defining the next wave of leadership, which is navigation of paradox. Paradox means you've got to manage the tensions that enable an organization to change organizations and people don't change unless there's tension we in hr should be long-term and short-term bottom-up and top-down centralized and decentralized we need to manage those inherent tensions so that the people in the organization change and so that the organization changes and our data says that's the single biggest confidence in driving business performance i've just done the whole book Nobody
0: has to buy it. <laughs> no, I'm gonna <laughs> tell you what. You've just scratched the surface of it, quite frankly. Uh, oh my gosh. Because because there's, I mean, because everything you talked about, it's backed up in the book by uh, frameworks and exercises and sort of guidelines. Not gu- maybe guidelines isn't the right word, but but just um, more insights about how you make make these uh, uh, make these changes and sort of adopt this more expansive uh, idea. And and it's got great NBA references as well that we learned today, which I I also love. <laughs> So, so I'm going to ask each of you, if you were to say, so
2: what's HR? And I've already probed it once, but I've got two columns. I've got the individual talent column. We've got to get HR people ready to play in that space. And I've got the organizational capability column that has more impact even than individual. What strikes you out of that? And again, I've given you a very high level and probably ambiguous overview. What strikes you in that that you go, whoa, this is a little nugget that I've got to think more about, and I hope our listeners, because this is not just for the three of us. We hope this happy hour is for those in HR who want to create value. What's a nugget in that that strikes you?
1: Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I think for me, it really is sort of that reinforcement that we do have to think about the shift in business and, and what the outcomes are. And it might not be, um, I was just on a call earlier today, um, in fact, about this. It might not be the things that we've been measuring um, and and it's definitely not just focused on the people analytics, right? Those are, I always uh, find myself saying this now that I'm a little bit older. It's like those things are interesting, but are they impactful? And those are sort of two different things. And maybe part of that comes with life experience, but that's sort of where my mind is right now. And if I were a listener, that's probably what I'd be thinking about in my organization is, is what we're measuring not just the right things, but is it impactful? Does it even make a difference? And um, the other one I just want to touch on very briefly is when you mention about companies really understanding what they should be known for or what they are known for. I think that the the organizations that struggle and ultimately the HR teams that struggle are those who, I, I probably used to say it as They didn't really understand how they make money because they focus so much on a product or a solution, and they think that's what they're known for, and that's really not it. It it goes back to being known for something more like the experience that you provide to your customer, whether that's through design or great customer service or whatever your thing is. But it's usually not a product, and I think until we get HR leaders to change their mindset about that, you know, they're not going to be able to really change the way they operate within the organization.
2: Yeah, Trish, I think. That's amen, and amen. Right. amen and amen. I want to hear from Steve. Amen. Yeah, all right, and I'll amen.
0: give you I'll Thanks. give you will give you a thought on this by popular demand, Dave. Thank like you. I would say what makes what I think about as as you've talked and what I've read in the book so far, and the book is Victory Through Organization that we're talking about, is um, uh, and again, I look at everything through a tech and a sports lens, and so i 'll give two two quick things and, and then i'll then i'll shut up so there's this uh, point of view right now that technological advantage in in business is is much less uh, it's much more fleeting than it used to be right because of of more uh, perfect information and social networks and, and things like that so the example i've given i've given it in a talk or two i 've done recently is Snapchat, you know, taking the teenage world by storm, everybody adopts Snapchat as a tool, and it's getting widespread adoption, becomes a competitive threat to Facebook. And so what does Facebook do? Immediately copies all the features in Snapchat and puts it in the Facebook apps, right? And so now the competitive advantage, the technological advantage that Snapchat had or may have had – well, that's pretty much gone, right? Because it could be copied by anybody in Facebook or it has done it. And so I think about like this th- that in terms of the the individual lens and, and the organizational lens where if all the organizations kind of compete mm-hmm. for talent and they know how each other competes, they know what each other are paying. We can go on sites like Glassdoor or Payscale or others and we could learn much more about organizations and their culture and, and the compensation and their plans and everything. That like, That talent is going to tend to even out across organizations right then for that same thing that the competitive advantage you can derive by simply just getting the best individuals that's going to be short-lived as well and that the only way for more long-term sustainable competitive advantage is 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 building leadership capability building organizational capability uh in order to get the most out of the same talent that everybody else has i think and the last thing is the sports analogy right i love the team's where it seems like you can just plug in the next player into the organization, into their systems and processes, and you hardly notice a dip in results. And like in basketball, that's the San Antonio Spurs, right? They've been one of the leading teams for 20 years With a different assortment of players all the time, but still they're they're sustained. New England Patriots, this is another example of that as well. The system and the processes and the culture that they put in place allows them to basically just refill their talent and and still succeed and, and still excel. Because of all the structures that they put in place, so and that's organizational capability. So those are the things I think about, and I think that's why this this, this book is so fascinating. And I think I you know I think folks who listen to the show should definitely uh, we'll put the link in the in the show notes and go out to Amazon wherever you get books. Victory through organization. It's a fascinating fascinating read.
2: By the way, I I don't even need to do the show. You guys should just talk because uh, <laughs> it's so good. But by the way, let me in. Mean, you said earlier. So what's new since two thousand and ten? And I said two things. One, from inside to outside, which is kind of back to Trish's comment about it's not about HR inside what we do, it's outside the value we create for others. And and that message is, is resoundingly true in everything. And the second is from talent to organization. And, and and I shouldn't say from to, that's a mistake. The word we've been trying to discipline ourselves is it's a paradox. you got to manage both. So it's pivoting. It's talent and organization. It's inside and outside. And if we, can, if we can manage both of those, we seem to be able to, uh, to build organizations that take individuals and make them better. And that's what it is in HR we're trying to do. I am a real optimist about HR. I get frustrated when we end up in debates about how big should our center of expertise be or should we insource or outsource it. I mean, those are legitimate debates. But I shape, I want to work with people like the two of you. And shape an agenda where businesses win because of the insights we in HR bring to the discussion. And, boy, when we can do that through broadcasts or podcasts like this or through research, um, and I hope in our book people recognize this is not, again, just four, you know, four guys in the piano, four piano guys, four guys in a room. or But it's, it's, it's research from 32,000 men and women around the world who are shaping this agenda. For what HR can do to be successful, what a great time to be
0: in HR. Yeah, Amen, Dave, Trish, I, I love it. I think we I, I think we close with that.
1: I have to tell you, I think that might have been the nicest compliment I've ever received in my <laughs> HR career. Right? Like I'm like, oh no, I think it's just Dave, honestly and sincerely, I, having been truly a fan while a practitioner the entire time, and now while I'm you know kind of on the other side, it's it's so. Inspiring. It makes it just that energy you have is infectious. It makes it makes you want to go do something big and and to change the world so that we can you know can sort of help these organizations evolve. So thank you for that. And I would say on a on a funnier note, the fact that you mentioned basketball. The Oscars and yes, even the Spice Girls. Like you've hit on everything That's I possibly right. love That's in nice. life. So <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't know. We just—I'm the biggest Oscars fan in the whole world. Just did a huge Oscars show a couple weeks ago where Steve and I duked it out over who was going to win. We we just went to—I know we'll talk about it later in another show—but we just went to the uh, final four over the weekend, and uh, and with families and friends and everything. And so yes, yeah, so it's like you're you're hitting on uh, on all the things that that we love and that sort of make the show fun. And so after the show, I'm going to put on my Spice
0: Girls CD. I think I still have one. So Right. right yeah. We'll, we'll exactly.
1: oh, you mentioned Disney too, yeah. which I'm also the huge Disney fan. I go way, way too much. But um, anyway, thank you, Dave, for just, you know, sharing, sharing your thoughts and your time with us. I think that you've been an inspiration for many years and this is no exception. I think you're really going to be challenging the way that HR leaders and business leaders, you know, sort of move into this next, uh, this next phase.
2: I, I hate to say anymore, but I am going to do one thing, and you guys just embody this for me. <laughs> and it's one of my frustrations in our field. Some people, some prophets, and I'll use you as not you as examples, you're the positive. Some people tell people they're going to hell if they don't repent. I don't like those prophets. I'd rather have prophets that say, here's what heaven looks like and how you can get there. Oh, yeah. That's what I hope this show is about. It's not. Oh, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. Woe is me. You need to repent or you're going to hell. I'd rather say, look at what HR can do. And by the way, we don't have to be able to do it yet. But this is the pathway to create something new and exciting. Yeah. And and Trish, you just laid that out beautifully with this positive upbeat. Even without good solutions, we're on the direction to create something innovative and new. So thank the two of you for letting me participate in
0: that. Dave, thank Uh you so much uh, for coming back to the HR Happy Hour Show. Let's make the next appearance, not another seven years, though. Let's try to make it a little sooner if we can. That would be fantastic. (laughs) As you wish. The book is Victory Through Organization. Dave Ulrich, uh, please uh, check out the book. We'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, Great to spend some time. The father of modern human resources, uh, we so appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Dave.
2: Thank you so
1: much as well. Thank you, Dave. Have a good day.
0: All right, Trish. Great show. Great job. I love it. Read the book, everyone. We'll have the links in the show notes. Thanks to Virgin Pulse, www.virginpulse.com, of course. And Trish, thanks to you. Uh, great job today. And uh, Thank you as well. We will see everyone on the HR Happy Hour again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. Your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.